Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9 is you're finding your place there in God's Word. I want to welcome uh, those who are joining us via our live stream. We're grateful for each and every one of you. Also, Reach Church Paola, and grateful that you're joining us as well this morning. And uh, at, over at Reach Church DeSoto, Pastor uh, Ryan, um, he, he read ahead and he said, man, I just want to preach Mephibosheth. I said, well, you preach it, brother. So he's out there preaching live to them. Um, so I'm excited for them. They get to hear from Pastor Ryan. We come to a text this morning that, to me, I, I don't know that there's a more gospel-centered text in all the Old Testament than this passage right here. The context is that David, in chapter 8, we studied, he extended the borders of Israel in fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham. David's old school. He goes back to God's promise. He goes back to God's word, and he extends the borders. He's a conquering king. He extends the kingdom of God. We get a picture of Jesus. And then as we'll look next week, he's, he's going to win some significant battles over the Ammonites and the Arameans, some major battles. And you're seeing the conquest of this king that he is, he's just as he established the kingdom. He rules in, in justice and, and righteousness. He's holy. He, he's powerful. But then God stops us right in between all this conquest and power. And God teaches us something about David. He teaches about himself. Because in chapter 9, we're going to see that not only is King David just and righteous and holy and powerful, but he's good. He's a good king. He's a compassionate king. And he, he loves demonstrating grace to those who are lost. And so in this passage, we get a picture of David. But more than this, we get a, get a glimpse of God's love for every one of us. With that in mind, let's pray together. We'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for your word that helps us better understand who you are. We thank you that this book is a book about Jesus. Every page points us to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, King Jesus. I pray that we'd see Christ today, that he would be magnified in his word and that men and women would be drawn to him. I pray that if there's anybody here that's outcast, broken, maybe in a place of despair, that today they'd hear you calling their name and they would run to you in humility and faith and know your redemption and your salvation. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, look with me at verse one. It says, then David said, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Is there anyone left that I might show uh, kindness? It's interesting here. David has been established as king. He, for the most part, he now has rest from his enemies. There's still going to be some significant battles to fight. But for the most part, he's established himself. He's established the borders. He is secure. He is blessed. He has known the grace of God. And the inclination of his mind in this place of blessing is to demonstrate grace and kindness to somebody else. And, and, and just as I read that first verse, I was reminded that those who have received the grace of God are transformed by the grace of God. And they end up becoming gracious, kind, and generous people. And when you know the grace of God, you want to show the grace of God. And David is a man who knows that everything he has is only by God's grace. And when he comes to a place of rest, his mind is inclined to say, who can I show grace to? 
He wants to show kindness, and note here, he wants to show kindness to somebody from the house of Saul. That means that, that from a worldly perspective, they're an enemy of David. The, the, the house of Saul, that's a rival king. When a king in, in that culture would, would take over, what he would do is he'd eliminate all his rivals. That past king and any of his descendants, they're my enemies, they're a potential threat. I'm gonna eliminate all of them so I can secure my throne. But David here wants to demonstrate kindness to one of his enemies to the house of Saul. What is the motivation behind this? He wants to demonstrate grace. He wants to demonstrate grace to a descendant of the house of Saul. Why? Because of a covenant. This passage is all about covenant faithfulness. You see that word kindness there? It's the Hebrew word hesed. You see it in verse 1. You see it in verse 3. You're going to see it again in verse 7. It's hesed. It refers to God's steadfast love. That God is a God who's, who's a covenant God and he, he keeps his promises. He's always faithful. And David, as a king here, remembers that he entered into a covenant with Jonathan. You remember um, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, uh, Jonathan was the first of the nation to really recognize that David is the anointed king. His, his father, Jonathan, recognizes my father's disqualified himself in his sin and disobedience, and this is the Lord's anointed. This guy's going to be king. In fact, in recognition of the fact that David is going to be king, you remember what he does? Takes off his royal robe, takes off his armor. He humbles himself to King David. You're the king. I lay aside all my princely rights, and I recognize you as the rightful king. And he's faithful to David. He's loyal to David. And you remember, he makes a covenant with David. And he says, David, I know you're going to be king. But when you become king, will you not cut off my line? Meaning, I know it's commonplace for kings to destroy all their rivals and kill them. Will you show loving kindness to my family? And in fact, he, he makes David swear twice. David, will you do this for me? And David says, I will. David enters into a covenant with him. And this is why scripture, when we were reading those early portions of the end of uh, 1 Samuel and the beginning of 2 Samuel, why it was, scripture went overboard to show you that when it came to the death of King Saul, when it came to the death of Jonathan, when it came to the death of Ishbosheth, all these descendants of Saul and this family of Saul, David didn't have anything to do with that. David will back away from every one of those occasions. Why? Because of his faithfulness to the promise that he made with Jonathan. And now his kingdom's been established. He sits back and he begins to think, is there anybody else in Saul's line that I can show kindness to? Uh, there, there's a good bit of, of, of information to lead us to believe that he's already demonstrated some kindness to other uh, relatives of Saul. But in his mind, he's thinking, is there anybody else out there? It's almost as if he's saying, even though there might be 99 in the fold, I feel like there's one more. I feel like there's a lost sheep out there. I feel like that there's one that's missing. I think David looks at his Thanksgiving table and says there's a family member who's not here. Somebody's out there, and I want to find them. And so David takes the initiative. Look at what he does in verse 2. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, I'm your servant. So David, he's searching, he's seeking, he's taking the initiative. He finds this guy who served Saul. He's thinking, maybe he knows of somebody else out there. So he brings Ziba in, 
Verse three, the king said, is there not yet anyone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Notice there the kindness of God. Now it's not just kindness, it's the hesed of God. Meaning, I wanna show and reflect the same kindness that God has shown to me. I wanna reflect that same kindness to somebody else. I wanna reflect the kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. Ziba says to David, listen, there's a guy out there. But David, king, um, and he won't even use his name initially. Because the attitude of Ziba is, listen, he's really not even worth mentioning. Um, David, he's out there, but he's be crippled in both feet. So David, um, there's somebody, but he's, he's worthless. Um, he can't do anything for you. Can't, can't serve in your army, can't fight. Can't serve in your, in, in your executive cabinet. Doesn't really bring anything to the table. He's crippled in both feet. This guy's worthless. He brings nothing to the table. He's of no value. He's out there. Do you think that's going to stop David from pursuing this guy? He's of no value, brings nothing to the table. What does David do? Well, look with me. It says in verse 4, so the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. You want to know where he's at? king he's in Lodabar now Jewish audience they start laughing because Lodabar is as far away as you can possibly be from the king this is you go up north as far as you can go past Damascus take a right in the middle of nowhere that's Lodabar and by the way he's crippled a crippled guy is going to have a hard time traveling from the furthest point of the nation all the way to the city of Jerusalem David, he's crippled, and he's as far away as he can possibly be. He is lost. He is exiled. He is gone. He's in Lodabar. You know what Lodabar means? It means that uh, it means no pasture. He's in a place of, of desolation. He's in a place of isolation. Uh, he's, he's, in a, he's in a depressing place. He's gone. He's lost. He's crippled. He's of no value. By the way, why is he crippled? Why is he crippled? You remember we learned this at the end of 1 Samuel. He's crippled because after Saul and Jonathan die in battle, you remember the family knows we're in trouble because once that guy dies, the new king takes over, we're all dead men walking. And he's just a little boy. He's about five years old. And the nurse knows we got to get this kid out of here because now he's, got, he's a marked child. He, he'll die. So the nurse grabs him up and in haste she's leaving and she drops him. And as she drops him, he falls. And due to the fall, he is crippled and broken. We'll track back on that. But you know that because of a fall, this man is irreparably broken. He cannot do anything to change his condition. He's far off. He's an enemy. It can't get any worse than this guy's situation. Now, will that stop David? David, he's of no value. Crippled in both feet, long way off. Well, David's going to seek him. David's going to bring him. And then verse 5, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. So he brings him in. Interesting to me how that might have gone. Um, I love to picture these things in my mind. But can you imagine that? Ziba going to him, Mephibosheth? Yeah, 
<laughs> um, you there? No. <laughs> I know you're there. Come on. We're going, we're going to go see the king. You know that guy who um, your grandfather tried to kill? No, thank you. I think I'll stay home. <laughs> now you're going with me. The point there is, is Mephibosheth afraid to go see David? You bet he is. Mephibosheth knows that he brings nothing to the table. He knows that he is guilty because of the sin of his grandfather. He knows that he is an enemy. Listen, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a holy king. And he's scared, and he should be. But Ziba goes and gets him. Ziba brings him in. It says in verse 6, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. In other words, I don't know what this looks like for a crippled man, but he just falls over, face first to the ground. That's what it means to prostrate yourself. He falls completely forward in front of King David. And folks, this is what you do when you realize that you're an enemy, when you realize you're guilty, when you realize you're broken, when you realize you're enslaved to sin, when you realize you bring nothing nothing to the table and that this man can, can kill you and it would be just and it would be fair because he is holy and he's God's anointed. All you can do when you enter into the, the, the presence of that kind of king is you just fall on your face and you hope and pray that that king is merciful. Your only hope is that this king will be a king who will extend mercy because I got nothing. So he falls on his face in humility before King David. And look at what it says. And David said, Mephibosheth. I love that. David calls him by name. Now, obviously, Mephibosheth knew about King David. But I think he is shocked that David knows his name. Mephibosheth. I don't know this to be the case. I did some research based on timeline. I couldn't verify this. But according to my timeline, there is a chance that David got to hold the infant Mephibosheth. Jonathan's his best friend. When your best friend has a child, his firstborn son, do you get a little excited about that? I just so happen to believe that there's a chance that David, <laughs> Jonathan had a little boy. And David went to see him, and David held him in his arms. Now, I don't know. David may have thought in the midst of all the melee, maybe he died. But now he hears. He's, Jonathan's got a son out there. And I wonder if David wasn't thinking, I wonder if it's Mephibosheth. I wonder what happened to him. He's crippled. How'd that happen? I can't wait to see him. I want to see him. Go get him. Bring him to me. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care if he's crippled. I love him. That's the son of Jonathan. Bring him in. And he comes in. He falls down. The way I picture it is, is David runs to him. Mephibosheth. And he picks him up. And he looks in his eyes. Listen, do you not think John, uh, David looks at Mephibosheth and he gets a glimpse of Jonathan in him? You ever got a really good friend in your life, a friend who's been a real friend to you, and they have a child and you can see resemblance? I think David picks old Mephibosheth up and says, I can't believe you're here. I remember holding you as a little infant. And here you are. Mephibosheth scared. Notice that what Mephibosheth says, I'm your servant. I'm just your servant. You know, when, um, 
The thief on the cross, you remember the thief on the cross? Uh, one New Testament theologian said he's the greatest New Testament theologian, <laughs> the thief on the cross. But remember the thief on the cross, he sees uh, the, the, one of them is mocking and, 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 and hurling insults, and, and the thief says, well, listen, this man has done nothing. We're getting what we justly deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. He recognizes that Jesus is innocent. And he recognizes that Jesus is king because he says, when you enter into your kingdom, what does he say? Will you remember me? See, if you're a thief on the cross and you're hoping to get to heaven and you recognize this is the king, you don't start listing your moral resume. (laughs) Do you know what you say? Will you just remember me? You know what he's saying? Jesus, can I just sit at the back of the bus? I'm not asking for a mansion. Can I just get in? You remember what Jesus says? I'll do you one better. (laughs) Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Not the back of the room. You're going to be in paradise. But when you come to Jesus, you don't come listing your moral resume and making demands of what you want. No, you fall on your face and you say, I'm just a servant. The prodigal son when he comes to his senses, I'll go home. My dad's servants have it better than this. I'll just be a servant in his house. And he comes home, and what does the father do? Oh, no, you're not going to be a servant. You're my son. He puts the robe on him, the ring, the sandals, kills the fatty calf. Here's Mephibosheth. I'm just your servant. You know what's also interesting about that? I, what is Mephibosheth really going to bring to the table? <laughs> He's crippled. But it's not about what he brings. It's not like David's going to say, boy, I really need you on my team. It's not about what Mephibosheth brings to the table. It's the fact that Mephibosheth's heart is, I may not have much. I'm just a crippled good for nothing. But I'm yours. All that I have is yours. I'm your servant. Well, look at what David says in verse 7. David said to him, do not be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness, show, show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. David says, you don't have to be afraid. Come close. You remember Joseph with his brothers? What you meant for evil, God meant, meant for good. It's okay. Yeah, you, you deserve death. It's all right, though. I, I'm, I'm good. I'm gracious. I'm kind. Come closer. There's grace here. There's forgiveness. Come close. I didn't come to harm you. I brought you here to save you. God did not send his son in the world to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I didn't bring you here to hurt you. I came here to bless you. And and then he restores to him. He's going to restore to him the inheritance that would have been his had his grandfather not sinned. I'm going to give you the inheritance that your grandfather Saul would have had if he had walked in faithfulness to me. You know what you call that? You call that justification. Essentially what he's saying is that through your faith in me, in your recognition of my kingship and my lordship, I'm going to give you back what you lost due to sin. I'm going to restore you and it's going to be as if there was never any sin. And you're going to have it all back because you came to me in humility and faith. Not only is he going to get back what he lost, he's going to get back better than what he lost. And then look at what it says. um, You shall eat at my table regularly. Not only are you going to get restored, you're going to have fellowship with me. And in verse 8 again, he prostrates himself and says, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? 
he realizes not only is he not going to die, which is what he deserves. Not only is he not going to die, but this king is going to preserve his life and bless his life and give him more than he thought imaginable. And his response is to again prostrate himself and worship and say, who is your servant? I'm just a dead dog. I'm a mongrel. I bring nothing. The more, the more you walk with God, the more you become overwhelmed by how good and gracious he really is. Can I get an amen on that? I don't know about you, but I used to think, so stupid. I used to think, that the longer I walked with the Lord and the more I tried to do things for the Lord, that I'd start to feel better about myself. Can I tell you, the longer I serve him, the more sinful I feel and the more overwhelmed I am by his grace. You know, Paul at the beginning of his ministry said, I'm the the least of the apostles. In the middle of his ministry, he said, I'm the least of all the saints. And at the end of his life, you know what he said? I'm the chief of sinners. The more you serve him, the more great he becomes and the lower you get. That's Mephibosheth. David just keeps showering gifts and he's overwhelmed. He just keeps prostrating himself. I'm a dead dog. I don't deserve any of this. Well, look at what it goes on to say in verse 9. Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him and shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson uh, may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Now this is so good, folks. This is, I tell you what, if you don't get excited about this stuff, something wrong with you. He says to him, you got all this land. Now if you're Mephibosheth, he just told you all that land that would have been your grandfather's, I'm going to give it to you. You wonder if Mephibosheth sitting there and said, that's great, but maybe you haven't noticed, but I'm crippled and I'm going to have a hard time tilling that land. Thank you for the land, but I can't really use it. I got no means to take care of it. David says, Ziba, come over here. You and your family, all you, you're going to take care of his land for him. And that land's going to take care of you and you're going to take care of him and you're going to send the produce over him. All, all the details are taken care of. Do you know what the picture here is? He's not only securing an inheritance for him, he's going to meet his daily needs. David is a, God who's, or a king who's going to give him um, his inheritance, but then he's also going to make sure that he has daily provision. You might say that he'll give him his daily bread. Bring him food. And then it says there that he ate at the table as one of the king's sons. Do you know what that means? Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth is transferred from the house of Saul to the house of David. He's been adopted. 
He's been transferred through faith in God's anointed king. He's been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. He's adopted into the family of David and he gets to sit at the table as a son. Can you imagine the dynamic? We're getting ready to have Thanksgiving. We've all got some weird uncles, you know, they're gonna be sitting at the table too, you know? But Mephibosheth is always there to remind them of the grace of God. In fact, you can make the argument that of all David's sons, Mephibosheth is the best one. Best one of the whole lot. In fact, all the sons you do, Absalom died, executed, leads a rebellion. Adonijah executed, leads a rebellion. Um, Ammon, a rapist. Absalom kills him. But Mephibosheth, he stays faithful. You know what I think to some extent? Those boys that grew up in David's household, they just got given everything. But Mephibosheth knew what it was to be lost. And Mephibosheth knew what it was to be guilty. And Mephibosheth knew what it was to be an enemy. And Mephibosheth knew the grace of God. And he'll stay loyal. In fact, when David is exiled, David will go into exile. He's running from Absalom. And Mephibosheth gets left behind. We'll read the story a little later. Ziba lies about it. But Mephibosheth gets left behind. And when David returns, you know what Mephibosheth says to him? I haven't shaven. I haven't even bathed regularly. Because if my king is suffering, then I'm suffering. Meaning that when he was left back in Jerusalem, he says, I'm going to identify with the real king, King David, regardless of what it costs me. That's a faithful young man. Loyal to the end. Because he knew the grace that had been extended to him through David. We'll look on. It says in verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. In verse 12, and all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. Amazing. This line that, that Jonathan made a covenant with David that it would continue, it does continue. And you can read about it in 1 Chronicles chapter 8. It gives you a powerful picture of how God will continue that line. In verse 13, so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. Now I love this. The picture here is and this is just the picture that I have in my mind, so bear with me here. But essentially what it looks to me is that David has told Mephibosheth, hey, the land is yours, all that stuff. You got people to take care of it. And you always have a place at my table. You're always welcome in my house. Any of you have friends like that in your life? You know, you've always told them, hey, whenever you need a place, you always got a place. You give them the a key to the house. You give them the garage code. Anytime you need a place, come over. Fridge is open to your family. We consider you part of the family. Our house is your house. You can come over anytime you want to. I think that's kind of the invitation that's extended in Mephibosheth. You're in the family. You're adopted in. But you, but you can live wherever you want to live. You can, you can do whatever you want to. This, this door is always open to you. But what Mephibosheth chooses to do is what? I'm going to live in Jerusalem. He makes a choice to say, I'm living here. And what that demonstrates to me is that Mephibosheth is saying, the land, the inheritance, all the goodies, the nice place, that's nice. But the real treasure that I have and what I love the most is that I get to have fellowship with the king. My treasure is that I get to be close to David. And I get to eat with him and know intimacy with God's anointed king. 
And then how does it end? We get the, at the end, we get the beginning. He's first described as crippled in both feet. The last thing we get, he crippled in both feet. He's still broken. But now he has fellowship with the king. It was interesting, when you're sitting at the table, nobody can see your feet. But I think the point here is to remind us that he not only (laughs) is saved by grace through faith, he's going to live and walk by grace through faith. He's still crippled, meaning every day this guy's living in total and complete dependence upon the king. I only have hope in as much as David is my king. Everything I have, I owe to him, and the only way I continue to survive is through him. In other words, he not only gets saved by grace through faith, he walks and lives by grace every day through faith in this king. And David doesn't heal him because David is not the Messiah. David doesn't bring full healing and restoration to Mephibosheth because he's just a reflection. We get to, he's a type of Christ in the Old Testament. We get to see a picture of Jesus, but he ain't Jesus. The Old Testament is full of prophecies that when the Messiah comes, guess what will happen? What will be one of the signs that the Messiah has shown up on the scene? That the lame will walk. And guess what? You get to the New Testament, what starts happening? Lame people start walking around. In fact, John the Baptist said uh, when he sends word back to Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one we're supposed to be waiting on? And what does Jesus tell him? Look around, John. The lame are walking, brother. The Messiah is here. I am he. The king has come. Now, you read this story. Does the story sound familiar to you? It should. Does Mephibosheth sound familiar to you? He should, because his story is your story. Because the fact of the matter is, all of us prior to faith in Christ, we were lost. We were lost, and we were of the house of Adam. Due to Adam's fall, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. That's how the Puritans used to teach the kids their alphabet. A, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. We, we are under Adam. Adam fell, his fall affected every one of us, and we are lame spiritually. We are irreparably broken. We are sinners, and we can't save ourselves. There's nothing in us that can make us right before God. We can try a lot of things. People do. They try to fix their brokenness through a lot of things. There's no solution other than Jesus Christ. We were lost. We were broken. We were lame spiritually. We were enemies, enslaved to sin. We were a long way off, amen? We were lost and gone. If you could see a picture of the the Temple Mount area, in the days of Solomon, there were concentric circles. The first circle was the Holy of Holies. Only priests could go in. The next circle outside of that was uh, the court of the Jews, where only Jewish men could go. And then you get outside of that, you got the court of the women. Only Jewish women could go there. And then outside of the court of the women, you got a wall. And outside that wall, you got about four steps. And then there's another wall. And then there's 15 steps. And then it goes to a drop-off cliff. And after that cliff is a plateau that levels out. And guess what that is? That's the court of the Gentiles. That's where we get to go. A Jewish woman could maybe look over the wall and look off in the distance with a good set of binoculars and maybe she would see us. Spiritually speaking, that's how far off we were. There was not a chance that you and I could enter into the Holy of Holies on our own. But the good news is the king came for us, amen? 
unbeknownst to us, God the Father had made a covenant with his son to come and seek and save that which was lost. And when we didn't love him and we didn't care about him, some of you in this room, you haven't thought much about God, you haven't thought much about Jesus, you don't care that much about him. Listen to me today, you may not care about him, but he cares about you. He knows everything about you. And he came to this world on one mission, to save you. And Christ came and he lived a perfect and sinless life. He was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And when he died, talk about the holy of holies that only the priest could enter. When he died, the veil in the temple, this thick veil that protected anybody from entering into the house, into the presence of God, guess what? That veil was rent from top to bottom, meaning a divine individual ripped it. You can't rip something. You and I would rip it from the bottom to the top, but it tells us that the veil was rent from top to bottom, meaning God rent that veil. And what does he say? All you who are weary and heavy laden, come on. There is salvation, there is forgiveness. And you come to Christ and you don't come with your moral resume, you don't try to impress him because you can't. There's nothing, you are spiritually lame, you are poor in spirit, you're spiritually bankrupt, you cry out for mercy, he calls your name, says don't fear, come on. There's grace and there's forgiveness. And he reaches up and he grabs you in his arms and he says now you have an inheritance. Now you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. You have an inheritance, an eternal inheritance coming to you through faith in Jesus Christ. And you're restored to that inheritance. And listen to me, the inheritance that you got coming to you is far better than what we lost in the fall. Are we going back to Eden? Be careful. We ain't going back to Eden. Uh, naked and talking to snakes don't sound like paradise to me, all right? I don't want to go back there, all right? Um, we're not going back to Eden, folks. We've been restored to a new heavens and a new earth that's coming to us one day. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And not only are we restored to an inheritance, we're brought in. We are uh, forgiven, we're justified, and we're adopted It don't matter your background. It don't matter your family lineage. Today, through faith in Jesus Christ, you can have a seat at the table of the king. For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children with God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. Do you know this, that you're a joint heir with Christ? One day you'll rule and reign with him if you know him. And you know what the greatest joy of our life is? He meets our daily needs, doesn't he? I look around this room, I see a lot of blessed people. We got a warm place to sleep tonight. We got food on the table. Some of us got way too much food, amen? What's our big problem? We're all trying to lose weight. We're looking for more closet space and more garage space because we got too much food, we got too much clothes, and we got too much junk. God has blessed us. But listen, all the blessings, even heaven, all the blessings that God gives us, do you know what we really treasure? We get to be with Jesus. The great, the great treasure is that every day we can commune with the God of all creation through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And we not only get saved by grace, we walk by grace through faith. Can I just ask you this morning, are you a member of God's family through faith in Jesus Christ? Are you here this morning? Do you feel lost? Do you feel broken? Do you you feel enslaved to sin and Satan? If you do, it's probably because you are. But maybe today, you hear the voice of the king calling your name, knocking on the door of your heart. If you hear him knocking, if you hear him calling, do not delay, humble yourself and place your faith in him. You may be saying, I'm not sure I'm ready to lay everything down. That's what Mephibosheth does. Listen to me, whatever you lay down, it will pale in comparison to what you receive. Trust him and become a member of the family of God. There's a a, a song that comes to me oftentimes when I'm doing these preparation for these messages and and this was one. It's an oldie, all right? Not that old, it's in the 1970s, is some of you, that's, that's practically yesterday. Uh, but kind of old to me. Um, but it's good. Listen to this uh, verse. Love this verse. This is the part. I was like, man, I remember this song, and I think I remember that verse. I had to go look it up. This is the, 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 the verse, and then the chorus you'll know. The verse says this. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king. No longer an outcast, a new song I now sing. From rags to riches, from weak to strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm a part of the family, the family of God. Pastor Bill, you going to lead us? Come on up here, jump up on that piano. Where are you at, Bill? Come on, man. You're holding the whole deal up, all right? <laughs> you know, do your job, all right? <laughs> you guys know I kid with him. I love this guy. Um, when I thought about that, I thought of a young man that uh, was in class with me at Southwest Baptist University and he was paralyzed from the neck down. He was in a wheelchair and he directed his wheelchair with his mouth. He had the controls there. And uh, Dr. Gordon Dutille was teaching that way, uh, teaching that day about how God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Chose us. Oh, I've thought about that. Would you choose you? <laughs> I don't know if I'd choose me. But this man, he was paralyzed from the neck down, and after Dr. Teal had taught on that and the wonders of that, he had made his way to Dr. Teal's office, and I was following behind him because I had a question to ask Dr. Teal about a paper that we were writing. And I, I heard this young man, he went into the office, and he looked at Dr. Teal and said, thank you so much for teaching that today. He said, he said this, he said, I have no idea why God would choose me but I sure am glad he did any of y'all feel that way this morning I don't know why he'd choose me but I sure am glad he did and through his choosing I become a member of the family of God let's stand let's sing this Pastor Bill you lead us I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God you lead us I'm so glad I'm a part of 
we come before you today just grateful to be a part of the family of God not on the basis of our own merit or anything we've done just on the basis of your grace Lord I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you Lord I pray that you would draw them right now would you would you whisper their name into their heart and draw them to yourself salvation is all your works nothing we do it's your work God draw them to yourself I pray that they would run to you, know your grace, your forgiveness, your freedom. God, for those of us that do know you, I pray we'd never get over your salvation. We'd never get over the grace that you've extended to us. Lord, we love you. We pray pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.